We ask you, Father, to fix our gaze on the day of our master's appearing through the sky in power and great glory with the Father's angels to restore all things and to topple the powers of the air from their place and cast them forever in the lake of fire to save us and redeem our bodies once and for all. Father, we set our hope on that day and we say that the only thing that qualifies for that inheritance is the blood of your son, the work that he did there, the righteousness, the fragrance that it is to you. And so, Father of glory, I pray tonight in Jesus' name that you would open our hearts to your word. God, we boast not in riches. We boast not in the strength of men. We boast not in the wisdom of men. Where is the scholar of this age, Master? Foolishness. Oh, God, we come to you. We come to you. In Jesus' name, through whom we have the right of access by faith to stand in your presence, Father. We ask you for mercy and grace tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to just start from... uh, Revelation chapter 3, we're going to be talking about on day 2, day 1 we're going to be talking about different kinds of fire that we can expect in the coming days. Henry's going to open us off tomorrow with the fire of deception. You know, the deception on so many levels and deception accessible on so many levels. We've been talking with some friends lately, the gadgetization of society, right? Where information is is accessed easier than ever before. True information and false information. The need for discernment is greater than ever, and so Henry's going to open us up with the fire of deception. And then Mr. Bill Schofield is going to talk to us about the fire of economic pressures. How does money and the human heart interface? What happens to the human heart when Perceived securities are removed. Then Bill, uh, then John Harrigan and Joel Richardson are going to follow up with the fire of persecution. John's going to look at it from a, uh, just a pers- biblical perspective. What is the source of persecution? Ultimately, as the scriptures talk about it. And then Joel's going to follow up with the specific type of persecution, the the looking at the Antichrist, looking at Islam, things like that from the scriptures, and, and, and breaking down some of the, the history of persecution within a particular ideology that Joel, uh, part of his, his ministry, is, is teaching, is, is convincing us that, that the, the, the culmination of persecution is going to come at the hands of one particular ideology based in the Middle East, uh, Islam. And then I'll, I'll finish up tomorrow with the fire from the heavens, looking at Second uh, Peter chapter 3. Then day 2, we're going to say, how do we respond? We're going to look at Revelation 2 and 3 in the seven churches, one by one, and ask the Lord for grace to heed his message to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the assemblies. We're part of that great assembly that's going to stand before the crucified and risen Lord. And we want to open our ears and ask God to give us ears to hear his message to those churches as his message to us. Tonight, I'm going to, I am going to start from Revelation 3, the church of Laodicea. Jeremy Johnson is going to, to uh, 
talk on that in, uh, on day two. I didn't go through all the different speakers there, but he's going to finish us, finish up the conference on, on, uh, on Saturday with the church in Laodicea. But I did want to I, I just start there tonight as a launching pad into what I'm going to share. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Tonight, I'm basically going to tell you some stories that highlight the means by which God has shown me over time that I, Timothy Patrick Miller, am very wretched, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Before I tell those stories and how the, the mercy of God has saved me and helped us as a family, I'm, you know, I'm not just going to tell my testimony of how I got saved. Um, when I say saved, I mean saved us from a number of very, what, you know, different times, economic hardships where I thought I was going to die. I'm talking like salvation, like, oh, I, Lord, I'm surely not going to make it this time, <laughs> you know, back when the, those economic pressures are there. And other, time, other kind, times where God has intervened in my life in a saving act. But I just want to say up front at this conference, you know, we're here in San Francisco. I just want to say from the very beginning, we're not here in this city because we think the people here are any more wicked than we are. Okay? The themes of this conference are very intense. But I just want to say that off the bat. Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And I just want to say this, that apart from the mercy of God, I would be the one flying airplanes into buildings and skyscrapers. And apart from the mercy of God, I would be the one running Playboy. I would be the one leading the human trafficking ring. I would be the one in charge of the Castro district next door here. Let's just say that. Let's, let's not start off this conference with, with self-righteousness and deception in our own hearts. The blood of Jesus is the only thing between me and eternal flames in a lake of fire. Period. Period. It's the only thing separating me from spending eternity next to the devil and his angels. Let's just, let's just get that clear from the very beginning. We're here because the Holy Spirit told us to do a conference here. doesn't matter how many people are here. I, that, doesn't, that means nothing to me. We're here because through a series of circumstances and events, the Holy Spirit said, do, a, do the next DTN conference in San Francisco. Okay. Don't know hardly anybody there, Lord. <laughs> Well, okay, we'll go to Reading and get to know some of those. Those are amazing folks. Okay, we'll come down here. Okay, we, we meet a couple of people. We pray about it. 
I tell you what, just the journey of praying this conference into existence was enough fire <laughs> to make me think, oh, Lord, is this how it's going to be every year? It doesn't matter as long as we're obedient. We're here. We just pray that we're faithful messengers with, with, with what he says, uh, puts on our hearts to share. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. Salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. There are a lot of theologies out there that don't have room for those two ideas to come together. Those whom I love, I spare from trouble. Those whom I love, I spare from problems. Those whom I love, so on and so forth, right? But the next verse, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. To have a definition of love that, inc- that at its very core includes the zealous fire of God to strip away deceits, to tear away at the things that he will not allow into his coming kingdom, that he will not allow through the four gates of pearl into his city that will shine. It's love. It's love. Over and over in the prophets you read, I will tear and I will mend. And it's both the tearing and the mending spring from the same heart of love. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. He's talking to believers here. He's not talking. This isn't just an evangelistic segue. He's talking to those who call themselves by his name as the one who walks among the lampstands and is zealous to keep them burning and lit. Discipline is part of trimming the lamps so that they don't go out. It's part of the wisdom, part of the wisdom that comes, that that qualifies us to be wise virgins instead of foolish virgins in the coming days. So I'm going to share some stories about times where Jesus has come in to my own life and to the life of my family, and he's knocked and said, son, you've got some deception. You're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, but you think you can see. You think you see the true reality of your condition. I need to come in and eat with you and fellowship with you. And in that place, there's a banquet. And I'm going to share some stories with you tonight, and I hope you feel the pain And the banquet, because I wouldn't trade these things that I'm going to share for the world. But they've been hard. They've been hard. But it's been in that place of discipline and and the cross where he's met me and and I've gotten to eat with him. Got a number of stories. I'm just going to start telling them until my time's out, and that'll be the end. (laughs) I like stories. Hopefully, you know, stories, they, they, people, um, they uh, stay awake pretty, a, lot, a little easier with stories. So um, hopefully these will, uh, ca- you know, catch your interest enough to follow me. <sighs> I 
when Jesus knocked. I remember when Jesus knocked on the door. 2005. You know, I'm going to try to share a diverse range of stories that capture some of the different fires we're going to be talking about tomorrow. One of those is the fire persecution. Now, my wife and I, we used to serve in the Muslim world, North Africa. I won't go into the specific area, but when we were there, before we uh, moved to uh, this one particular area of, of our work, uh, the Lord braced us several months in advance that when I send you there, you're going to experience some intense difficulties. So be ready. Be ready. And not only that, be ready to, to meet us. There were several, several dreams that I had actually where I began to think, man, am I going to meet somebody there? And just to be on my toes and be ready for, for what you encounter when you, when you go to this area. So we were praying into this. We were praying into this. We were praying into this. Several months earlier, before we moved, about a year earlier, actually, before we moved up to this area, there was a veteran missionary who'd been working among this people. One day, in a uh, while we were traveling in the car, he said, "If an outsider, uh, a Westerner, somebody with, you know, uh, from from the West, were to step in to this people group, to most cities of this people group, they would have two weeks to three weeks." before they would be killed, kidnapped, or kicked out. My mind went to the, 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 to the area of discipleship. If I only have two or three weeks, Lord, in a place, how can I make effective disciples in that situation? Is that, or how are effective disciples made in that kind of situation? And not only that, how are effective disciples made so that movements... That, are, that Jesus would actually recognize as of New Testament quality would be birthed in that area. So I spent about a year praying into that kind of question. We finally move up to this area. And one day as we're uh, getting our house ready, a guy shows up on our doorstep. I'll call him Muhammad. That's not his real name. There are about a billion, zillion Muhammads out there. So um, I'm just going to call him Muhammad and... And that should keep him, keep him safe. But So Muhammad came to my doorstep. He was a painter and also a biologist. I mean, I don't know where he made the career shift, but he did his, his training in biology, and now he's a painting. So brilliant guy. You know, he spoke several languages, and he, he was looking for a job. So I told him, I said, uh, well, Muhammad, I don't have a job for you. But what I do have, I'll share with you freely. <laughs> you know, silver or gold have I none, right? So I said, I'll, I'll, I'll share this with you. Uh, would you like to hear the good news of Jesus the Messiah? And we got into a conversation, and he had had some exposure to Christian truth before this. And, and, uh, but he, he clearly wasn't, uh, he was still a Muslim. He said, yes, I, I, I would love to hear. So... I took him to, uh, to the side, and, and uh, my other worker who was there was kind of keeping, he saw, he noticed that I was having this conversation with him, so he started kind of shielding the workers and kind of keeping them away so that I could have some privacy talking and sharing with them. So I, I, I shared the gospel with him. The first thing that I would do with people in this situation, I always 
I always warn them. I said, you know, I shared the gospel with them, and then I, then I go into the warning. I say, you know, Muhammad, if, if you make this decision, you're going to be persecuted for your faith. No fine print. You know, Muhammad, if you accept, if you accept the gospel, everything's going to be great. Muhammad, if you accept the gospel, you can just bind and loose your cares away with a few words. Muhammad, if you accept the gospel, right, just loose the kingdom around you and everything will be transformed. Okay? No. Muhammad, if you accept the gospel, you're going to get hammered for your faith. But, count, you know, count yourself, rejoice you're counted worthy to, dis- to suffer disgrace for the name. Not the devil, to bear his name, the wounds of the crucified Messiah. First Thessalonians, just a, you know, there's a little precedence for this. So when we could stand it no longer... First uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who was our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. Our de- you know, that, that's a destiny, right? That's our de- <laughs> Nobody wants to talk about the destiny of the cross, right? In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know, right? We warned you. We didn't hide the fine print from you. And it turned out that way. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. What he's saying there is, I'm afraid that under the pressure of persecution, you have forsaken Jesus. And Paul, as an expert foundation builder, if he lays a foundation that does not withstand the fire of persecution, he has not laid a sufficient foundation. That makes sense, right? So to, take, to build a foundation that assumes that fire is part of our destiny in this age is really important. Otherwise, if you build a foundation that does not take those things into consideration, how will it stand when the fire comes? And so that's what I was trying to do with Muhammad. Muhammad. If you make this decision, you're going to be persecuted. Do you still want to make this decision? Well, I shared the gospel with him, and the Holy Spirit confirmed the message. I I said, you know, I said, Muhammad, I, I believe God doesn't just want you to believe this message because of my words. He wants to confirm his message with power. And so I said, do you mind if I pray for you? He said, sure. So I prayed for him, and he starts going, I feel fire! I feel fire! I feel fire. And the, the hair was standing up on his arms. And I'm just like, I'm doing nothing. I'm just like, Lord, come and do something. <laughs> so the, the Lord, you know, obviously, you can't, you can't make somebody feel fire, right? So, <laughs> so the Lord's doing something in him. And then I warn him. I say, Muhammad, you know, if you accept this message, you're going to be persecuted. Do you still want to? He says, yes. So that night, Muhammad comes over. And I'm going to begin discipling him if you will what are some of the basic things that i need to pass on to this man well if i only have two to three weeks i better teach him not to trust in me (laughs) if i'm only going to be around that long hopefully i'm not you know i hope i don't get thrown in prison or anything like that but just in case i need to teach him how to trust the holy spirit and so 
I say to him, Muhammad, um, I, want to, I want to teach you to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And then what I, just on a practical level, I say, you know, here are some of the different ways God speaks. And I, and I list different ways. You know, sometimes in the Bible, you know, there are examples where he speaks through a dream. Sometimes he'll speak through circumstances. Sometimes he'll speak this way or that way. But most importantly, he speaks through the scriptures. And the scripture is the objective measure by which you test all other subjective experiences, right? And so I, you know, give a practical example. If, if you hear a voice saying, God doesn't love you, that's a good sign. It's not the Lord trying to talk to you because the Bible's clear that he loves you. If you hear a voice saying, son, don't give up. Even when it's hard, stay faithful to me. Don't give up through persecution. That's a really good sign that it's Jesus talking to you. Okay? The devil doesn't say things like that. And most of the time when we're talking to ourselves, it's let's go get a, get a cup of coffee, right? So, at least for me, right? So, hello? I, I'm trying to add a little humor in there to kind of lighten up the intensity a little bit. So, anyway, uh, so I, uh, I said, Muhammad, let's practice. Let's ask the Lord to talk to you. And I began to pray for him. And I, and I saw him. He began to lift up his hand as I'm praying for him. You know, I'm praying for him, and I don't know if I was supposed to peek, but I was kind of peeking just to see what was happening. But, you know, I don't even, whatever. So I'm just looking, and, and I watch him, and he's, he's, he's lifting up his hand like this. And, and he says, uh, uh, I'm watching him, and, and finally I'm just curious, and I say, Muhammad, what, what was happening? And he had this kind of trembling about him, and he said, I heard a voice that was not my voice. You know, this guy's raw out of Islam. He doesn't have like 50 layers of bad theology to work through, like my sheep hear my voice. All right, well, I'm a little sheep in the midst of wolves that are about, trying to, about to pounce on me. Talk to me, Lord, right? And the Lord spoke to me. He said, I, I heard a voice that was not my voice. And he said, I said, well, what did he say? He said, well, he said, well, and it wasn't just me picking up my own hand. He said, I saw a hand reach out and take hold of my hand and pick up my hand. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. So what did the voice say? And he said, the voice said, welcome. You're now one of us. I died for the sins you committed. And as you've received me, now I receive you. I was like, sweet. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So, so then I said, okay, Muhammad, congratulations. I'm never going to give you a job. You know, here's the momentous occasion. He's just been saved. Muhammad, I'm never going to give you a job. I wasn't just saying that to be mean to him. But here's the reason I said it. In this part of the world, just like other parts of the 1040 window, I had heard a number of examples of where a, a, a worker had gone into a place and while he was there in that place where uh, trying to share the gospel or establish a business or something, he would establish a business. He would hire local workers. The local workers would see his life, her life, be drawn to Jesus, accept the gospel, but there was a problem. When they did so, there was a financial attachment there because it was a business context, right? So what ended up happening, they learned, they never really learned to trust the Lord for their provision, not only that, but instead, with, uh, in terms of their witness with their friends and family, what would happen was, because there was that financial link there, it gave their friends and family 
a way out from having to deal with the tension that somebody would actually choose Jesus over, in this case, Islam. Oh, you just did that because you got money, right? And especially where it's a poor context. So I said, well, we got we to we gotta nip that thing in the bud. We've got to preempt a financial dependence on a man with a red beard and white hair because I can't provide for anybody. You know, a, a man with uh, no hair and a, white, and a red beard is what I mean. I don't, have any, I don't have any hair up there. I'm a little man. I can't provide. I'm flesh and blood. Muhammad had to be taught to trust in Jesus for his provision, right? So I said, congratulations, Muhammad. I'm never going to give you a job, but we're going to trust Jesus. We're going to trust Jesus to speak to you and lead you and provide for you. And I said, let's read, let's read from Matthew 6. So we read the Sermon on the Mount. We read, uh, look at the birds of the air, look at the birds of the field. God provides for them. He provides for, uh, you know, just the, the grass of the field. He provides the, for the birds of the air. And then we said, I said, let's pray for you, Muhammad. And we prayed and we asked God to speak to him and provide for him. Muhammad hadn't jo- had a job in months. He came back to me the next day and he said, Jesus, is, Jesus came to me in a dream last night, or a vi- I don't know if it was an angel, but he said, God visited me in a dream last night. I said, what did he say? He said, he said, tomorrow I want you to go down to the bus station. I want you to get on a bus and take the bus to the river. When you get to the river, you'll see a soldier. The soldier will tell you such and such. You, t- you respond with this and this. When you get across the river, I've got something good for you over there. That's a paraphrase. <laughs> Something like that. That's how, basically how it went. Next day, he got up. Um, I told him the night before, I said, Muhammad, whatever God speaks to you, you must obey. Your defective discipleship, if you just know information, but you don't obey when he speaks, you don't obey the words of the scriptures, it's not really effective discipleship. So he's, we're hammering that the night before. So he gets up the next, the next day and he goes to the, the bus station. When he's there, when he's there, um, his dad is visiting from out of town. His dad buys his bus ticket. They go down the river. He, it was really funny. He always used to say whenever the Holy Spirit would come on him, he would say, a wisdom came upon me. And he'd make this like, whoop, like, like motion from above his head, like something was kind of like coming into his head or something. A wisdom came upon me and... and he said while he was on the bus, uh, uh, he overheard a young man and a young woman arguing behind him. And when he did that, he said a wisdom came upon him and he stood up and began to teach them from the discipleship pattern we'd worked through the night before about the importance of loving one another. And his, the bus was shocked. I mean, here's this guy a day old in his faith and te- he's standing up with a bus full of, of, of Muslims telling them the importance of loving one another. And, and, and there, his dad was shocked, and his dad was so surprised that he, he stopped to point out to everybody, this is my son, you know, and something has shifted. Long story short, they get to the river, he gets across the river, and he finds a job there in this place as an artist, and he makes more money that week than he had made in two months. Okay? Jesus can keep doing that, you know, no matter what happened to me, right? But the point there... 
is that from the very outset, Jesus had to be established as his provider in a real practical, tangible way. Jesus, I lean on him to see me through the fire and navigate me through the storms around me. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. So Muhammad begins making disciples who begin making disciples who begin making disciples and a few house churches spring up. And there's this in another village, two little house churches, a guy from a different village comes to the village with these two house churches and somehow gets connected to them. They pray for him. They lay their hands on this guy and the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon him with such force that the man gets up and he goes back to his home village and he stands up in the middle of the village and he says, I, I, you know, I never met him personally. This was through you know, two or three uh, times removed from myself. But he goes back to his home village and he stands up in the middle of the town and he says, this good news of the kingdom is going everywhere and nothing can stop it. And then they stoned him. And then he got back up and a church was birthed in that little village. Now, the cross was central to his theology, right? Now, there was one problem with some of these things. I won't go into the story of where Muhammad's son died. His son, actually, his his baby died, and he was raised from the dead. But Okay, I'll go to that story. I just did. So Muhammad's son died, and, um, and basically... He was raised from the dead. His, basically what happened was some, some, Islam, some radicals came across the border, kidnapped his wife and his son, took them across the border, held them for ransom, and said to Muhammad, Muhammad, if you want your wife and, and son back, and she was nine months pregnant, um, you got to give us, we gotta, they took a ransom, you got to give us some money. So when that happened, um, Muhammad, obviously, can you imagine how you would feel in that situation? I mean, he was broken, and, he, and I was actually in another city. We were getting ready to come back to the United States at that time. And, and when this happened, the Lord visited him in a dream and said, Muhammad, this is a test of your faith. This is a test of your faith. What ended up happening, um, they, the Lord provided the money they needed. She came back. They took her to the, the wife to the hospital. She had been kicked around while she had been in captivity, and she gave birth to a dead baby. <clears throat> so Muhammad calls me the next day. Within his culture, you have 24 hours to bury the dead. Within his culture, uh, you have 24 hours to bury the dead. So they were getting ready that morning to bury the baby. He calls me, and I say, what, what happened? This is what they did. Hang up the phone. My wife, Emily, and I were, were just grieved over what happens, what just happened. And, um, but then when we got off the phone, the Holy Spirit whispered to my heart, we're not giving this up, baby up without a fight. So I said, Muhammad, go take some time to pray before you bury the baby. And so he, he says, what do I do? What do I do? I said, I don't know. Just go pray. You know? and so so, so I, I said, I, I, I texted him, actually. I said, hey, read these Bible passages. I texted him the, the story of the widow, when Jesus raises the widow in Nain and where Peter raises Dorcas from the dead. Well, the Lord raises Dorcas through Peter. I said, read these stories. They'll show you what to do. 
And so, so that's what he did. He went, he, they, they were actually wheelbarrowing the baby uh, to the they were wheelbarrowing the baby uh, to the gravesite. Muhammad runs and intercepts them and wheelbarrows the baby, the dead baby, back to his, his hut. And um, his mom's in the room, and, and he opens up those passages and reads them and begins to cry out to God and lays his hands on the baby. And suddenly some power came through his hands, and the baby starts to cry. And he freaks out, and he runs out of the room. He, he leaves the baby there. His mom's there as a witness. He, he leaves the room. It leaves the house, he's like the fear of the Lord comes on him, and then suddenly like the joy of the Lord comes on him. He runs back into the house, and, and he picks up the baby, and, and he says, he calls me up and says, This Holy Spirit! This Holy Spirit! I, you know, you must teach me about this Holy Spirit! I'm like, bro, I think, I think you're kind of working it out on your own right now. So, so, uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, I set this, I'm saying this to set the stage for the next, the next part of the story because a few days later, he's brought before the elders of his town. Now, his son had just been raised from the dead, right? The elders bring him before the town, the, the, the elders bring, them, bring him before them and they say, Muhammad, you have, an op- you have a choice here. You can... Deny your faith in Jesus and revert to Islam, and we'll give you some money to do that. And you know what? That, that story about how God had provided for him in the beginning, for the next few months, it, it had been a journey of faith. Will, it, will he do it again? And then again. And it got, started getting weary. Like, where's my provision going to come from? It wasn't just fireworks. Don't get that impression, Okay. There's testing involved, and it was starting to wear on him a little bit. They bring him before the elders. That, he says, You've got to, you, you deny your faith, in which case we'll, we'll give you some financial incentives, or we'll kill you, right? Oh, that's, is there a middle option? <laughs> you know, like, actually, there was a middle option. Um, but in that situation, I'm in another city. I'm not there. He's got the Holy Spirit. What's going to happen? I mean, everything's on the line. I'm either a good foundation builder or not. I said, Muhammad, I sent him up some Bible verses. I said, you know, I, I warned you in the beginning that these things would come. And I, and I encourage you, stay true to the faith. And I quoted a bunch of scriptures. He wrote me back, and he said, I have not given in to those men, and I have not denied the faith. And he said, thank you for the honorable way that you shared the gospel with me, meaning you didn't hide the difficulties. Okay? I never heard from him again. I haven't heard from him since. I, I have a feeling he fled and went somewhere else, and I lost touch. You know, internet access was blocked. I mean, monitored in the places he was going. So I, I have a prayer. That's, that's my, my connection. Jesus talks to me about him once in a while, but that's it. Now, there was a problem in all of this. The problem was I was doing this rather two-faced. What I mean by this is, at the time, I knew what had to happen for Muhammad to be, a, made, to be a, a def- effective 
an effective disciple, to, to, make an effect, to effectively make a disciple in this situation. The problem was I'd never gone through some of these things myself. Meaning, at the time that I was actually training Muhammad in these things, I was part of a very, very wealthy missions organization. Actually, one of the wealthiest in, human, in history in the last 2,000 years. I was, in a, I, was, I was part of an organization where if, if I had an illness, I could have a helicopter paid for in cash to come pick me up and take me to hospital somewhere. Okay? I was thankful for it. But I had, you know, and even before I joined that organization, I had never really gone through some serious financial testing. Well, at the, uh, during this time, Jesus knocked on my door. I stand at the door docking. Open up to me. Let me come in, and we'll eat together. I had a dream one night, and in the dream, I had this holiness preacher come up to me. And he said, I, I, actually, he came up to me, and, and, and I said to him, How do I get this pride out of my life? And he just looks at me, and he walk, starts to walk away. And I say it again, how do I get this pride out of my life? He's kind of, he turns around and he kind of looks at me and finally, and I, I don't know if, I can't remember if I said it a third time, but he finally, he kind of comes up to me and he says, he kind of rebukes me. Basically, he rebukes me. <laughs> and he rebukes me on the level of my attachment to finances and a false sense of financial security. And he related it specifically to the mission organization of which I was a part. That I was trusting in that for my provision rather than him. Well, um, we ended up resigning from our mission board shortly thereafter. Found ourselves back in the United States. And not sure where we were supposed to go next. What we were to do next. We, uh, we had just heard about a prayer ministry based in Kansas City a few months earlier. We said, well, let's go there and pray. So we found ourselves in Kansas City. We were broken, broken, broken. It was just an intense, intense season. I, I won't go into all the, the details of it, but just a lot of pressure. And we were broken. Jesus had knocked on my door, and I had had a chance to lead Muhammad in something I'd never experienced yet. But the Lord was merciful because he knew he had a plan for my life, and he was going to give me a chance to experience it retroactively almost. <laughs> so, now it's our turn. We're in Kansas City, and we didn't have that missions package anymore. We had no time to build up our support base, and I had no job. Now, in my mind... No supporters, no job means find a job, <laughs> okay? I mean, is that a logical connection for most of you guys? No supporters, no job means go out and find a job. So I started doing that. It's in Kansas City. We had one month left of support, one month left of financial support before we had nothing. Ooh. We had one... One month left of financial support before uh, before it was gone. When we were there, I remember very specifically, 
I was in this prayer room looking for jobs online and just complete lack of peace comes over me. You're not supposed to do this right now. You're supposed to join this prayer ministry as a missionary. I mean, here I am in the richest country in human history. Join, you know, join this prayer ministry as a missionary, but I don't have any supporters. I know. I was, I was terrified. My wife was terrified. I remember the day that I was in the prayer room freaking out, just to say it, freaking out, like, ah, okay, oh, God. And then, you know, that, that the crescendo in the song comes up, and suddenly you've got faith, and then it goes down, ah, ah, you know, just, and then they build up the crescendo again, oh, I can go anywhere with you, Lord, and then the, then the music goes down, ah, 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 you know, just, it's kind of like in that roller coaster mode. And uh, uh, so I remember I was sitting in the prayer room, and, and uh, I feel the Lord spoke to my, my heart. He said, I'm going to send you the ravens and the manna. I'm like, what in the world are you talking about, the ravens and the manna? I went home and said, talk to my wife about the ravens and manna plan. <laughs> yeah, that went over really well. Honey, we're supposed to trust the Lord for ravens and manna. Both of us are in the kitchen. We both are in the kitchen floor. And we, we both fall on the floor and weep out of just sheer fear. God, you know. I just remember it so clearly. Like, we, we couldn't, we just couldn't do it. We just fell on the floor in the kitchen and began to weep. And weep and cry. And, and I remember, I remember, I don't know if this was the exact same time, but I remember my wife coming down the stairs and she was kind of shaking like, like, what are we what are we gonna do if we if we get kicked out? And I'm like, I don't know. Go back into the kitchen. Oh God, you know, just like just the fear and the concern and the worry just overwhelmed by it. And then I remember I think this was the same that after that morning was when the Ravens of the Manna thing hit me. And then that night, that afternoon, I went back into the prayer room and you know, I still had my last paycheck from the missions organization and coming in that month and taking refuge in that I go in there and I open up my computer check my online banking account and at that exact moment my heart sank I don't know what happened but there was a check I had written several months earlier and they had waited till that exact day just cash it in and all that money was gone except for the money we had committed to give to the Lord. The amount we'd committed to give the way to the Lord. I mean, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> I can't even describe it. Comes Just the, the numb, this, this feeling of numbness coming over my stomach. And at that moment, I don't know, you know, one of the singers on the stage began saying, there's somebody in the room making a decision right now. And, and I'm like, oh, God. And all the people around me are just like, you know, oh Lord, I'm just hitting my face, snotting, and oh, you know, and it's just a mess. The ravens and manna plan, yeah. A few days later, some food. We met some people that were part of a ministry that they gave food. Some food showed up on our doorstep. Like, oh my goodness, what are we doing? 
what are we doing? You know, just confronted by the fear. Now, I'm going I'm, I'm to tell you another story of when Jesus knocked. This was actually a few days, I think, looking back, I need to check my journal. I'm the worst journaler in history, but I think I wrote it down somewhere. Uh, a few days before, uh, before this story, um, I wish I would have learned the lesson, but Jesus was already knocking even before he, he told me specifically about the ravens and manna plan. This was, Ju- this was June 6th, 2006. What is that, the number of that? 666, right? It was when all the, all the scary movies were coming out on 666 and all this kind of crazy stuff. It's kind of this aura of evil, you know, or whatever. Everybody was, it was just kind of in the air, people talking about it in the media. <clears throat> we knew three people in Kansas City. We had very little money to buy furniture. We were in an apartment. We had some furnishings. I remember uh, very specifically Emily and I laying down for the evening and getting ready to go to sleep. And we prayed. We said, Lord, we need a bed. We need a bed. You know, just a handful of people. The next morning before we get out of bed, I get a phone call. person I've never met before. Her name's Cheryl. Hey, Cheryl. Hi, is this Tim Miller? Tim and Emily Miller? Yeah. Do you guys need a bed? Yeah? All right. Well, we've got, we, we've got a bed. Okay, well, how did you get my number? It turns out that Cheryl had a friend, one of the three people that we knew in Kansas City. Somebody had called Cheryl with the news that there was a bed that they were getting rid of. Cheryl uh, was praying, and the Lord brought to her mind one of the people that knew that we needed a bed. So she called her up. She, our friend gave her our number, and she calls us. So I'm thinking, okay, well, we need to get a truck to get this bed. This is 666. Remember, let's keep the context in mind. This is 666. I get a bed that morning. <laughs> All right, sweet, yeah. The Antichrist days turned out pretty good for me today, you know? <laughs> like, right? So, so we arrange for a truck that night, and I meet up, and I go, and I hop in the truck, and we go to the first person who contacted Cheryl. She's like, oh, the bed's not here. It's at somebody else's house. So we follow her, and it ends up being, I think, in somebody else's house. So here we are. It's like 8 or 9 o'clock at night. And we've got this entourage going, driving through Kansas City to pick up this bed. I'm like, this is absurd. What is, I, we just need to go get a bed. Why all these vehicles, right? And keep in mind, 666, right? And we're going to get a bed. I have no idea why all these vehicles are, 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 are following, where we're, while this little entourage is going through Kansas City. So finally, we get to this house. We have no money for furniture. We open the garage door. Not only was there a bed, everything we needed to furnish our house was there. Somebody had had a yard sale. They didn't have time to actually really do much of the yard sale, so they just left it in the garage. And it was all ours. And we filled up three vehicles worth of furniture. And I'm telling you what, I was, this was in a season where I was, I was terrified. Because I had deceit concerning who my provider was. I had fear and worry. I was wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus had knocked. Son, let me deal with this. Let me show you some things here. 
You don't have any money. It's the Antichrist day, but times are coming when you can't go that route anyway. I've got to teach you to go around it, right? So we end up at this garage. And when we open up that thing, and not only that, we, there was a, I think there was a baby crib. We had our first child at this time. Her name was Faith, right? The Lord's like, well, you name your daughter Faith, but let me actually like work it into you a little bit. So we open the garage and it's fully furnished. We've got our, all the furnishings, the baby crib, I mean, silverware, just all this stuff. And I, I just go, I go behind the garage and I just begin to weep and weep and weep before the Lord. I'm, I, I'm, I, he's knocked and now we're eating together. We're eating together. I'm figuring out, okay, you got me covered here. You got me covered here. And then a week later, he said, I needed to get that one in your belt because you're on the Ravens and Mana Plan. <laughs> and I remember specifically that night while we were driving back home with all this furniture going back to our apartment, I said, Lord, I don't know what this is all about. Like, you know, this has been a great day. <laughs> this is not the end, like the 666 day. Do, 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 do. This has been an awesome day. What's going on? And I remember so clearly just the phrase that went through my spirit. I'm teaching you to trust me for provision in the last days. And I said, what in the world are you talking about? I didn't have much grid for the end of the age at this point. I'm just wanting to make disciples that stay faithful through persecution, even though I've never done it yet. Okay? That's, all, that's where I am at this point. Okay? So, we go back. Then the ravens and the manna thing comes. I'm going to fast forward, fast forward a little bit. About a year and a half later, day by day trusting for our provision. I mean, I can't, I remember during this time, I was always, I was always one psalm away, one psalm away from depression. I'm serious. I'd wake up in the morning and just this cloud in my face and I'd start to cry. remember it so vividly like every morning it would hit me all right all right the lord is my light and my salvation who shall i fear the lord is the stronghold of my life of whom shall i be afraid when evildoers advance against me to devour my flesh when my enemies and my foes attack me they will stumble and fall Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek. Fifty dollars. <laughs> no. <laughs> to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And so, I just remember so vividly, the Lord opened up a door for us. We didn't, we, we didn't have any money. It was day by day, just like no predictability. Like, you know? I remember so. I remember the Lord opened a door for us to live out on this horse farm, where the I, it's, I, that's a whole story in and of itself. I, I can't even go into that. It was a massive swirl how the Lord provided that. We get in this house, and I'm going to go water horses every night and feed horses, um, and we get to live there for free. Okay, so I, and I love it. I mean, it's a beautiful horse farm. Love the horses. My daughter loves the horses. We had no money. 
I remember my car broke down. We had no money. I had no way to get to the house of prayer. I had no way to even get there. So I just didn't go. I was just like, I can't go. It's like, I have no gas money. I have no car. We did have food, though. We had food. And I just, you know, again, all right, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. (laughs) All right, he who dwells, you know, just that constant struggle. And I just remember this. And my wife and I were praying together, working through these things together, trying to figure this out. And one night, we're in our bedroom, just looking at each other. And suddenly the Holy Spirit comes to the room and we just begin to laugh. We have no money, no gas, no car. And we just begin to laugh. We have food and we're laughing and telling stories. And, and, and my wife, you know, she says, she says, I never knew we could have so little and yet still be so happy. This is the same woman who a year earlier with me, we fell on the kitchen floor crying because we were scared to death. I never knew we could have so little and yet be so happy. Jesus had knocked again, and now here he was again feasting with us and eating with us. My birthday, same year, a couple months earlier, January 8th, we had no money. Oh, like for the last, the last eight years, pretty much every one of my stories starts off, we had no money, right? We had no money. It's my birthday. You know, I'm kind of feeling a little self pouting. Yeah, it's my birthday, Lord. Come on, my, my beloved. <laughs> you know, whatever. I need some money to go. I want to go. I, I, you know, I like Houston's. I like a big, um, what do you call it, uh, French dip sub from Houston's prime rib. I was like, man, I just want to go to Houston's tonight for my birthday. You know, and, but we had no money and very, you know, I think we had enough gas maybe to cross the street or something. And, and I just remember I was in the kitchen and I was like, Lord, I would really like to go out with my wife tonight for my birthday. And suddenly I just had this urge to go into the closet and pull out my computer. And I pulled, I, I pulled, I clean, excuse me, I pulled out my computer and clean out my, clean out my computer bag. So I did that and I found this book that I'd put there by a lady named Rhonda Calhoun called The Bride or something. And, and I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm like, wait a minute, what is that? Poking out of that little book was a little green corner. I was like, what is that? I opened it up and $50 bill. Like, where in the world did this come from? We're going to get some prime rib tonight, honey. You know, and, and so we, so we, it was the funniest thing. We, we took that 50 bucks and we got it. We got it. We had a, I don't even know if our car worked, but we got in it anyway. It did work. We got there. We, we got to Houston's. And I had I, somebody, I think it was Henry, Brother Bruno, had given me this nice leather jacket. It's kind of, you know, swanky, you know, and looking kind of cool. And, and uh, so I, I had my leather jacket on. And we got to Houston's, and there were, you know, they had all the, they had all of the, uh, the, the lighting just right. And, you know, all these, you could tell they were pretty wealthy people in there, you know, eating their, eating their Houston's. And Emily and I are like, we got like five cents in the bank and here we are we got our 50 dollars of cash we just kind of fit in like hey yeah yeah you know and we're we get that that we get that french dip sub and and just eat it and we give the rest away as a tip 
Jesus came and he, he knocked on the door. And I can't tell you the way that that captured my heart in that moment. And it was worth, it was worth the struggle. Okay? Oh my. I remember uh, when Jesus knocked on the door summer of 2008. Earlier that year, this is a couple of years, we're a couple years into this thing now. The Lord had through a series of things really put Egypt on our hearts and we really felt strongly that in 2009 we were going to go to Egypt. Again, we had no money. And I tell you what, some crazy things happened. Some crazy things happened at this time when the Lord was speaking about, to us about going to Egypt. One, I'll give you an example. Uh, there was this one guy visiting from Egypt he wasn't Egyptian, but he was married to an Egyptian, been there for like 18 years, spoke fluent Arabic. We, were, uh, we went out to have some lunch. I dropped him off. I wasn't sure, you know, I wanted to, I wasn't sure what his denominational background was, but I said, you know, we were, like, we were praying in the car together. I said, do you mind if I pray for you in tongues? He said, only if you don't mind if I do. I'm like, okay. You know, I just, I, I just didn't want, you know, I had no stumbling blocks here. I just want to, you know, figure out, you know, where we are, how we can relate to each other. So we're praying and, and as I'm praying, he looks at me and he says, do you speak Egyptian Arabic? I said, no, I've never studied it. He said, you just spoke several phrases in perfectly fluent Egyptian Arabic. And I wish I could say that my, my, my first thought was, God, give me the rest. If we're going on the Egypt, like, yes, Lord. It, it, just so you, for the record, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. But he told, I said, well, what did I say? <laughs> he told me, and I said, ah, that was definitely Jesus. I would not say those things to you in a first-time meeting, man. I mean, they were like, they were like charges from the commander. Like, oh, and I'm like, all right, you know. So, I mean, that's an example of like the level of kind of activity that was happening to us about Egypt. And I was like, okay, like we're going to Egypt. And, and then it stopped. And for three months over that summer, I cannot tell you. I'm, Actually, for about four or five months. I can't tell you how intense it was. I cannot tell you how intense it was. I mean, I did not have enough money to go down the street to the gas station or the grocery store, let alone get to Egypt. And I remember every night for like three months, and we'd, we'd sit in our living room and we'd feel that numb feeling starting to want to come over us. <laughs> and, we are, and so we're like, we've got to pray now or we're going to lose our minds. So we begin to pray and somehow the Holy Spirit would begin to breathe strength into us. And then the next night again, and the next night again, and the next night again, and here it comes again. <sighs> all right, all right, Psalm, Psalm 3, whatever it was. And I remember it was, September 22nd of 2008, I was about to break. I couldn't handle it anymore. I thought I was going to break. I just couldn't handle the pressure anymore. It's going to snap. It's like, I've got to go get it. I, 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 it was crazy. There were so many times like, you know, Lord, I've just got to go do this or this or this and da, 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 and all this stuff. And then something, you know, I'd just be about to, and then he'd, do, he'd intervene and, and provide. But I was about to snap, and I remember I woke up that morning, and I went before the Lord in prayer, and I just was weeping and sobbing and weeping and sobbing 
and weeping. God, I can't take it anymore. I don't know if that's a prayer, what that is. I can't take it anymore. I can't do this anymore. That night, we had this um, uh, meeting, unexpected meeting. There was a guy that had gifts, the prophetic giftings there. He had me stand up, and he said, you know, um, basically, while, while he was praying, the Lord gave him a telephone number and said, go call that telephone number. I'm like, uh, okay. I did, it was like getting close to 9 o'clock. I said, I'm going to wait till I have three minutes at 9 <laughs> to go call him. So, so I, I got the telephone number, and he said, bring, tell him, when you call him, tell him to bring 824 along. So I, I went out, and I, and I waited till three minutes at 9, and I called the number, and this sweet accent, southern accent, answers the phone, and I, complete unbelief hits me. I'm like, uh, 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 <laughs> you know, and then finally she goes, uh, hello? And I said, uh, I think I might have something to encourage you. Um, does this mean anything to you? Bring 824 along? And she goes, where are you from? I said, Kansas City. She goes, are you from, are you from this, uh, particular ministry? Yeah, I am. Are you from, uh, that, it was IHOP. I said, are you from, she said, are you from IHOP? I said, yes, I am. I'm, I was on staff at the time. And, and she goes, we've been out to Kansas City. And I'm like, really? And then we got into this whole conversation. And long story short, I, I talked to her short. I, I talked to her husband the next day. They say, yeah, we want to fly you and your wife out here to North Carolina and, and hear your story. And, and we know that your Emily's parents live in South Carolina. And we want to let them use one of our business cars to go see your parents. And we had no money. No money. And I said, all right. We're coming. <laughs> you know, so they buy us a play ticket for like the next week. October, I remember it was uh, October 1st. We start out the month with $50 for our support check. I was like, oh, yeah, $50. $50 in our bank account. And then our automatic insurance withdrawal comes out. And now we're minus $25 to start off the month. And we've got enough like cash in our pocket to buy a couple hamburgers in the airport. But we're going to North Carolina. We meet, meet up with them and the Lord puts it on their heart to give us one of the, an amazing gift. Jesus knocking on the door. Coming in and eating with us. <clears throat> Still not in Egypt yet though get back to Kansas City, we feel like the Lord um, puts it on our heart to, uh, to go, uh, go spend some time with this family for a th- few months, did some writing during that time. Um, <clears throat> we get, we're still waiting for one of our daughter's passports. While we're there, uh, we, we, then we go to see my family uh, in Kentucky. While we're there, we're waiting for, for Haven's passport to come in. And I just jokingly say to Emily one day, I say, honey, if Cousin Jimmy died, then we'd be in Egypt in no time. Just joking. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, uh, all right, all right, all right. Let me just tell you what happened. So, Cousin Jimmy, I, I, we'll get there, we'll get there. Cousin Jimmy was the guy that my grandma, I always, as a kid, I always just would hear grandma tell these crazy stories about Cousin Jimmy She'd kind of go on these rants about Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. Like, he's just hoarding all the money. You know, I'm like, you know, like, all right. I just know cousin, something Cousin Jimmy, my grandma's kind of, you know, ticked off about. 
Well, cousin Jimmy, my 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 grandma, her uh, her brother, he was a wealthy businessman. He had several children. When he made his will, uh, he or actually he only had one son. Sorry, he only had he had, he had several siblings, but one son, Jimmy. And Jimmy, you know, he 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 kind of squandered his. He, he was prone to squander his living on his father's resources on wild living. Let's just put it that way. So his dad didn't want to leave him all the money, so he built a, he put a trust in place. Basically, Jimmy got all the interest until Jimmy died. But then, when Jimmy died, all the money would go out to my uncle, to to my grandma's brothers, brothers and sisters. Basically, my grandma and her siblings. So grandma was always just waiting for. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I, that sounds kind of bad. But when cousin Jimmy died. She'd get some money. Well, my grandma died that year. My grandma has one daughter, my mom. I just said, jokingly, because I'd heard all these stories from Cousin Jimmy growing up. Yeah, if Cousin Jimmy goes, then we'll get some money. We'll go to Egypt. The next day, my mom calls, Cousin Jimmy has died. (laughs) I'm like, Lord, I didn't do it. Like, I didn't didn't do it, Lord, Cousin Jimmy. Cousin Jimmy's. <laughs> so my grandma, she had died, so her portion went to my mom, and she shared some with us, and we had just enough to get to Egypt and get everything settled in. Yeah. So we were in Egypt for several months, and I could go on and on and on. My time's running up, running down. I want to let you guys get out of here so you can get some sleep before we dive into the teachings tomorrow. The Lord comes, son, you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to purchase from me gold refined in the fire. I counsel you to take the road less traveled. I counsel you to take the narrow path and to forsake the broad path. What this world calls wisdom, forsake it. What this world calls financial security, Forsake it. What this world, what this world looks to, what this world puts its trust in, leave it behind. Let me put some salve on your eyes so that you can see I'm knocking at the door. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. It has been the hardest journey, but I want to give testimony to the Lord. It has been, what is it, 2014? It has been eight, almost eight years, almost eight years of this. And by the mercy of God, our tweak out, our, our freak out time has now gone from two minutes to sometimes even weeks at a time before we freak out. Okay? And sometimes longer than that. I just, I just to give testimony to the Lord. And... My marriage is stronger than it's ever been by the mercy of God. And we have feasted with Jesus and it has been hard and it has been disciplined, but I know it's springing out of the goodness and the fire of his heart. I share these testimonies with you just to give you a little feel of where this conference is coming from personally because it's going to get we're going to be talking about some intense things that are coming down the road
But we need to keep in mind that as these things are happening, as painful as they are, as difficult as they are, as sobering as they are, Jesus is coming in. He's knocking on our door to dine with us. And he's defining his goodness and he's defining his love in view of the big picture of eternal glory. And unless you define goodness and his love in light of the big picture, then when these things come, we'll misinterpret them. We won't know their purpose. We won't have understanding as to why they're happening. And without understanding, the people perish. We are praying that the fruit of this conference will be that more people will stand firm through these things because we're crying out for God to build a foundation of Christ crucified. And that as he knocks on the door, that we would have the ability to stand before him and say, Lord, I know it's going to be painful. I don't, I know the small print is there. There's no small print. We know the cross is before us. Come in and let's feast together. Teach me your ways. Instruct me. So I'm going to have just guys, why don't you just come up and if, um, just in case people want to have some time to pray, just the worship guys for a minute. I'm just going to pray and consecrate the rest of this conference to the Lord. Master, we are your servants. We are your servants, O oh God. And we love your church and we love your bride. As dysfunctional as we are, as broken and weak as we are, Lord, we trust you to meet us in that place. And we trust you, Jesus, to come and feast with us and to give us power to open the door when you knock. Lord, we pray that as you come with your fire that you would strip away the deceits this weekend. God, we want to stand before you. We want a foundation that is true. We want a foundation of gold and silver that is purified through the fire, not a foundation of straw and hay and wood and stubble that burns away when difficulty and testing comes. So God, we ask you in the name of Jesus to come this weekend. We ask you, Jesus, to speak to us. We ask you to guide us on the narrow path. We ask you, God, give us strength. Strength, Lord Jesus, as you speak to our hearts, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would encounter us. Encounter us. Oh, we put our hope not on the things of this age, which are fleeting and temporal, that don't last, that don't matter, oh God. We set our hope on the weight of glory that awaits us when you appear through the sky in power and glory and fire and redemption and renewal and restoration, Master. So I ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, to meet us. Meet us, we pray. Meet us, we pray. We consecrate our hearts and our minds to you, Lord God, Jehovah, creator of the heavens and the earth. And we ask you to meet us in Jesus' name.